Hi, I'm Lynn Walker, immigration partner at Minor and Landis. And on today's immigration update, we are honored to be joined by our special guest, Deborah Ludi Reedy, founder and managing director of Smart Choice Translations, who's been working in the field for more than eight years. She's here with us today to share the importance of using a certified translator and how someone becomes a certified translator. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. So uh, let's just jump right in. The first question I wanted to ask you is, what made you become interested in becoming a translator? And what services does your company offer in terms of translations? Okay, that's a, that's a great question. So uh, my interest actually got sparked when I myself had a need for certified translations when I was going through an immigration process in Brazil to obtain a status there. Uh, I'm originally from Switzerland, immigrated to Brazil once and um, then immigrated here to the U.S. I've been through the process not once but twice. So um, I've always loved languages. So when I realized that that's actually a field um, that you know I could create a, a career in, I definitely was very interested in in starting that. And so I got my degree in the area. And um, while I was in college, I st- specialized in legal uh, translation and court interpreting. Mm. Uh, I've, I've always been very interested in law as well. So that's kind of where everything started. And um, in, in terms of my company, the services we offer, it's definitely a, a comp- uh, translation agency that's more tailored towards um, the legal industry. So we serve... Um, lawyers, law firms, uh, legal departments and corporations. We, we offer a, a pretty comprehensive uh, set of services for, for the legal sector, like document translation, um, certified translation, of course. And um, uh, we also handle like high volumes of e-discovery documents that need to be translated from one language to the other. Uh, many times uh, l- lawyers don't necessarily want everything translated, but they want key information out of that. So we do a document identification. Uh, It's just um, basically any language need that a a law firm would need, we can can help with. So Deborah, thank you for sharing that. It's really interesting that your firm focuses on translations in the legal sector. I have a, a story to share about immigration and the importance that translation and interpretation plays Uh, Many, many years ago, I used to work on asylum cases and a attorney came to me after her client's asylum case was denied because the person who served as the in-court translator and who also translated this person's documentation told the court that they were qualified to translate because they spoke Chinese. And as you may know, there are many dialects in China. But what we found was our client spoke Fujian and the interpreter spoke Cantonese and made some translation errors that impacted the person's case. And so when we were reading through the court transcripts, it became clear that there was something wrong because the attorneys would ask a question and the client's answer was just off the wall. Um, And it wound up 
being so bad that the judge was actually yelling at her for being unresponsive. And instead of realizing that there was a translation issue, the, the judge assumed that the client was misrepresenting the facts. Fortunately, we were able to write a brief, get a new interpreter and translator, and have the decision overturned. But it wound up being very scary for this person because their asylum claim initially had been denied. The great news is it was eventually approved, but it really showed me the impact of having someone who is competent in English and the foreign language to translate and interpret for our clients. So given that, can you tell us what someone needs in order to become a translator or interpreter? Is there a specific training or education or licensure requirements? Yeah, that's actually a very good question. And unfortunately, the answer is not quite straightforward. Um, so here in the U.S., of course, that depends on every country. The, the requirements are completely different in every country. Unfortunately, in the U.S., the, the profession of a translator and an interpreter is not regulated. Mm -hmm. It's not like an attorney or an engineer that needs a certain degree or has to pass a certain exam in, in order to practice. Translators... Um, Anybody can be a translator that wow. speaks two languages, or at least they can profess to be a translator. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I, I do want to mention there that there are um, more requirements for court interpreters, which is which involves oral communication in a court um, versus translators, which involves written translation between documents. Um, so there's there are definitely more requirements for court interpreters, and that varies from state to state. You have to pass a certain um, examination um, in order to, you know, to, to practice in, in court, to interpret in court. Um, now, translation, a lot of uh, official um, agencies will require certified translations, which is a very vague term of, uh, here in the U.S. And uh, like I said, um, there really isn't any uh, specific test or anything that you have to do or any degree for that matter to, to be a translator. And that's why it becomes a bit difficult to vet um, high quality translators sometimes to work on your documents. Um, but the good news is we do have uh, certain associations and certain benchmarks to um, to use as a reference here. In the U.S., one of them is the American Translators Association or ATA, which they do um, they do offer a, an exam that you have to pass. The, the passing rates are quite low. So it's, it's quite a difficult, difficult exam. But um a translator is not qualified if he has only if he has an ATA certification. There's definitely very highly qualified translators out there, especially in subject um, areas like, you know, uh, for example, a lawyer that's a translator is going to be definitely more qualified to translate in the legal area than somebody that's um, uh, that doesn't understand um, the legal systems involved. You know, so uh, there's another platform that's called prosy.com where most translators um, register. You can look at their profiles. You can look at ratings, what other firms have said about them. So there's just a lot of processes that you can use to vet translate translators. But again, there is no official um, government um, regulated you know, uh, exam or, or, or process that you have to undergo in order to become a translator. Deborah, that's a little scary that uh, there's no specific training, uh, education, or certification process to become 
a translator. There, it sounds like what you were saying is that the there's a higher standard to become a court interpreter, but not a translator of written documents. So given that, in the situation that I described for my prior client, whose asylum case was denied because of poor interpretation and translation, is there anything that you could recommend an attorney or a foreign national do to avoid such a situation where someone says that they are qualified but you get the results and they're not. Like, how could someone have possibly avoided that, in your opinion? In this specific case, um, I think communication is very important. First of all, every time I get a request, I make sure that I know exactly which variant we're talking about, which language variant. Like you said, in Chinese, there's so many, and that applies to other languages as well. So First of all, you have to know what you're looking for, what language, what variant, what dialect you're looking for. And then, so the ATA, the American Translators Associations, they do they do have a, a directory where you can search for qualified translators that are sort of ATA certified or ATA members. Mm. Um, so you can search, in, in that case, you can search there. I would never, a lot of people turn to family. Yes. Family yes. of the applicant or the defendant, you know, since they obviously speak that language or or acquaintances, I would never do that. I would definitely look for a professional for a translation agency or a professional individual translator, a freelancer that has qualifications in the area that that has a degree or that has um, that is actually a professional translator. Mm -hmm. So definitely no family member. That's there's that's even more problematic because there can be bias involved. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you have to preferably stay neutral, of course, in any type of, of case. So that would be my, my recommendation for sure to, to definitely contact a translation company or a professional. So until I spoke with you, I didn't have any idea that an entity such as ATA existed. And that's ignorance on my part. I, I guess one would assume that as an immigration attorney, I would have more knowledge about interpretation and translation, but it's not an area that I know a lot about. I, we just usually go to a service provi provider and we expect them to know what they're doing. Um, every now and then we catch errors and we return the document to them saying that this does not read accurately or, or we know the translation is wrong. But I didn't know that there was a service out there where I could search for people who were certified by an organization that is known for its high standards. That's really, really good for our listeners to know and other attorneys to know. And then the second thing I wanted to bring up was, um, and, and I'm sure you, you get this often, and it, it kind of goes back to having friends or family members translate for you. Many people assume that because they are fluent in English and in a foreign language, they're qualified to be a translator. In your experience, why isn't that true? What's problematic with that beyond the issue of bias? Definitely. That's a very, very common misconception that, that I hear all the time. Um, so translation is a process that's, that involves so much more than just the knowledge of two languages. It involves and I'm, I'm just talking about translation in and of itself, not necessarily in a certain subject matter like medical, legal, or or whatever. Um, it involves a lot of cultural knowledge. It involves the, the, the ability 
to convey, uh, to redraft a whole text into a different language, that it sounds natural in that language. You don't want it to sound like a translation. You can't incorporate the syntax, the structure of that one language into the next. It won't, it won't sound right, won't make sense. So there's a lot of cognitive processes involved there. Um, and that's even more so when it comes to a specific area like legal translation or medical translation. But in our case, um, we're discussing legal translation. It is very critical that you have subject matter knowledge, that you understand the legal systems you're dealing with, the legal concepts, uh, which are so embedded into the culture of each country, of each, you know, um, people. So it's it's very important that you understand those those systems and those concepts in order to render a text that is functionally viable and that can be used in U.S. courts or wherever it's going to be used by, you know, by a U.S. attorney. Um, in, in the case, for example, that something's translated from a different language into English. So um, definitely requires way more than just knowledge of the language. Um, I mean, a lot of us, when we, you know, if you're not in the area, you read a legal text, it sounds like a foreign language. So it definitely requires a, a lot more than just uh, linguistic knowledge. So, Deborah, I, I like your comment about um, reading legal text being like a foreign language. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when I went to law school, uh, I speak English. It still was a foreign language to me, sitting in these classes, listening to professors speak. And I was like, I have no idea what they're saying. And I, I think it wasn't, I want to say it wasn't until I took constitutional law that it like snapped. And I was like, now, now I understand this jargon. It was just the way things were written and the way uh, the professors expressed themselves and the case law. So I, I can only imagine trying to translate something that's legal from English to another language or another language to English. I, 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 so much can be lost in translation. So that brings me to my, my next question. Where did you get so much of the legal knowledge, legal know-how, and just comfort that you have with the legal industry? Where did this come from? Actually, in the beginning, I remember the first legal text, uh, actually legal translation that I got years ago. Um, it was it was like Greek, you know, I was like, <laughs> what am I reading here? I went over it probably like 15 times and uh, had a, and a, that was in Brazil, that was from, I think it was from Portuguese into English. And it was that, I don't know if, if you heard about it, but it was that huge um, corruption scandal going on in Brazil, the government, it, it was, it was kind of famous all over mm -hmm. the world. It was all about that. I had a, an attorney help me explain to me the legal concepts. And once you understand that, you know, it's easy to convey it into, into the other language. But it was, it was, in my case, it was working with attorneys, working with um, judges. I actually worked in the uh, federal courts of Brazil for quite a while alongside a judge and um, who's like my mentor and a um, attorney. So that was amazing experience in my case. Each person, each legal translator has a different um, journey, you know, th th that they follow. In my case, that's what it was. It was basically 
um, experience, just experience with, with in the area. And once you hear that jargon so much and that language, mm-hmm. it becomes like second nature, you know, and, and I translate a lot from, from German into English and the German legal system is very codified. So once you kind of get the hang of it, it's, it really comes, comes pretty natural. It's very, it's different from the Portuguese one, which is more, um, Portuguese legal, legal language is very, um, flowered up, elaborate, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> but, um, I don't, it, it's, I think it's passion mixed with, you just start becoming so familiar with it based on practice. And of course, a lot of research, I lead, I read a lot of books. Uh, I've done a lot of courses, specialization courses in intellectual property, uh, just areas that interest me in law and um, general law. I've studied a lot. I do plan on doing a master's in legal studies um, at some point. Um, but of course, like I said, it varies. Mm-hmm. I know other translators who are lawyers and are legal translators. And of course, you know, there's nothing as valuable as having all that knowledge in the area. But there's also a misconception out there that, that only lawyers can be legal translators, which is not the case, of course. If you if you study enough, if you know the systems you're working with, the legal systems you're working with, you know, if you um, have that knowledge, that's definitely enough for you to render a, a functionally viable translation. So. That's fantastic. Now I, I'm going to jump to uh, the the next thing that I get a lot, and I'm sure you do. And I usually uh, know that it's an issue with a, a Google Translate document. So, um, you know, when we file documents with immigration, uh, they need to, if they're in a foreign language originally, they need to be certified and translated into English. And uh, we we often have people who want to um, save money by using Google Translate. And I can usually tell because the translations are a little off the wall. So um, I remember one time reading this email that a a client, I needed them to translate so I could show their work product. And um, this was before the Me Too movement, but it was in essence an email to one of his female managers, where he was like, I love you, hugs and kisses, please do me this favor. And it was just really uncomfortable reading it. (laughs) I felt like um, this is not an email we should be providing to immigration. And I said to him, is this really what this says? And the problem was he was translating from Portuguese to English. And my understanding with Google is that you can't, it's not a good translation. And it was kind of translating it into informal English. And I said, we, we can't provide this. This looks like you're sexually harassing your secretary uh, and your, your manager. We're not doing this. How accurate from your perspective, this is just mine. These were a handful of weird translations and I knew they were off the wall. But in your opinion, how accurate is any form of machine learning or artificial intelligence generated translations such as Google Translate? Of course, artificial intelligence and Google, I mean, machine translation is here to stay. Really, there's no way around it. We all, you know, people use it. Like you said, it becomes problematic when it's used in um, official settings. But um, I will say machine translation in general has come a long, long way. Um, I use uh, translation agencies in general um, that are up to, you know, par with what's going on. 
they we have to use it as a tool. You can't avoid it anymore. You have to use it as a tool um, to speed up. I'll, I'll, I'll talk more about that a bit later. But in terms of accuracy, like I said, I do not personally use Google Translate. Um, it had, like I said, it's come a long way, but there's other engines out there that are way more accurate. For example, DeepL from Germany. And as a matter of fact, the legal translations that it, it produces, that it's pretty, it's pretty accurate. It can really, really speed up the process, and especially when you're dealing with high volume e-discovery documents, but that you can never rely on it. It will commit, like some of the mistakes that it, the output, you know, that there are in the output are, are quite hilarious actually. And mm -hmm. like, it'll translate um, names, like proper names of people, for example, in a country like in Portuguese, Oliveira, it'll, you know, sometimes translated as an olive tree, but hey, that's the name of the person. So, you know, so you, yeah, you can't rely on it. Plus it, it also sometimes omits words. Sometimes it adds the same sentence twice. So it's definitely not reliable. Um, and also in the legal area, the main, my main reservation is that machine translation does not understand comparative law. It doesn't, mm. it cannot compare legal systems and interpret that and make a decision based off of that, of course. It is trained by what's put into the machine, of course, over the years. So the more correct translations you put in there, um, the more accurate the output is going to be. So um, that is kind of where I'm at with it. I use it as a tool, but always accompanied with somebody that's going to edit it and bring it to human standards, which we call a post editor in the industry. So that can be helpful, of course, with with high volumes. Mm -hmm. You know, it can save money. Um, why translate from scratch if that's just going to be if you like, let's say that the lawyer only needs that to um, for like a discovery process. It's not even going to be an official document submitted to the court. If it's just for, you know, informational purposes like that, it, it definitely helps and speeds up the process. It just depends on the function of the final document mm -hmm. to be translated is what I would say. Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense. I, it can't be the, the, the standalone process. If you're going to use machine learning, it's, it's just like anything else now. If you, for example, use chat GPT to create a social media post, you still need to review it to make sure that it is factually accurate and grammatically correct. So I, I guess it's the same with machine learning. Deborah, one more thing, um, if you can tell us. So you translate documents into English. What are the, the languages that you cover in terms of translations? So um, I myself translate from Portuguese and German into English, but I have a team um, that I work with of very qualified translators and that we can handle basically any language that you might need. Um, any direction, by direction, I mean, of course, um, from into, can be from um, English into Japanese, Chinese, whatever, um, Hebrew, uh, Russian. So yeah, I definitely, I, I have a team of vetted, highly qualified translators, reliable, uh, so we can handle pretty much um, any language need. And also multilingual projects. Um, sometimes, you know, the same document has to be translated into six different languages or how, mm. however many different languages we can also handle that. So Deborah, if someone wants to hire you, how can they contact you? Sure. Um, you can contact me at um, info at smartchoicetranslations.com. 
um, or at Deborah at smartchoicetranslations.com to speak to me personally. Thank you so much, Deborah. It has really been a joy to have you on our podcast. And I look forward to hopefully us continuing to collaborate and working on projects in the future. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be on and speak about something that's so important and, and dear to me. And um, um, it means a lot that, you know, what you, what you said about my social media posts, definitely trying to um, just bring more awareness about, about this topic, which is so important. And um, I'm definitely more than happy to be on again. And it was a pleasure to be on. Thank you so much, Lynn. Disclaimer. The information contained herein is intended only for educational or informational purposes and is not a substitute for legal advice. Further, listening to this HR tip in no way establishes an attorney-client relationship between you and Minor and Landis LLP. Listeners should consult legal counsel for definitive advice regarding the current law and regulations and how those apply to your unique situation within your organization.